You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Peel, and each week I sit down with entrepreneurs, artists, and others who have found that betting on themselves has made all the difference. Chris Forsley created two nonprofits, Family of Friends and Faithful Friends. Both organizations pair at-risk children with adult mentors who help broaden these kids' horizons and provide a broader support network. Chris has great stories about creating these organizations, the key decisions made while growing them, and about how both groups change lives. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. I have a master's of education from Loyola in Chicago, where I had worked in public schools in Southside Chicago. And then I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time, and then got into mentoring via Friends of the Children. That program hires professional mentors, and it's I was the first program manager there. My husband was the first executive director. And it's an amazing program. It, de- it devotes itself to the children from kindergarten all the way through high school. And so it's a terrific program. It's also very expensive. In 2002, um, my husband was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer. And at that time, we had our own company and closed it because he was sick. And we were planning on him dying. However, he had a miraculous recovery. And he got better. And he said, okay, what are we going to do to make this time really count? So we thought, let's take all of the information that we gained at Friends of the Children and the powerful message of mentoring and create a program that's more cost-effective by using volunteer mentors. Now, in the past, I had always felt like volunteer mentors couldn't really mentor the highest-risk kids. Why is that? Because they're at such high risk. And um, Like you need a professional to do it? It's like well, a training thing? Well, you just need really good support. At Friends of the Children, those folks, you know, it's their job. They have a lot of support around them. They get really wonderful training. So we set about how, do you, how can we get a program that can support people well enough so that they really can serve some of these really high-risk kids. So here's what we did. First of all, we thought, um, why would you say let's – I have to go out and meet with my little mentee tonight, so I'm going to not be able to be here at home with my family. No, just pick up the kid and bring him into your family and have the whole family participate in this relationship. And um, that was one of the things that we had learned at Friends of the Children is that when the mentors included their own family members and their circle of friends with these kids, it just broadened the experience and increased the number of supportive people in the kids' lives. So we decided we would recruit not just individuals, but also couples and families um, to be mentors. Then, um, so we thought, well, okay, we're going to encourage them to bring the children to their homes. Very unusual. Usually their programs say, oh, you can't do this and you can't do that, and you certainly can't bring the kids to your home. Everyone's worried about the liability of it? Yes, yes, absolutely. So we said, well, we have to have a really 
stringent background check. So we tell people from the ve our very first meeting with them, when we first talk to them on the phone, we're going to do a really tough background check. We're going to fingerprint you, and those will go to the Oregon State Police and the FBI. And we're going to check your driving record. And we're going to speak to at least, we're going to interview at least three of your five references. And then we're going to come to your home, and we're going to open every door in your house and take a look. And then we're going to do a kind of personal interview to just see what your motivations are, you know, if this is a good fit for you. And so um, we tell them that over and over. Like when they come to the training, we tell them again. And then once they, you know, complete the training, we say, now we're going to complete your background checks and stuff. And so during the training also that we're really looking at them and checking them out to say, is this a good fit for these people? Or what kind of a kid would be a good fit for this person? And um, so it's a, it's a long process. It's about a two-month process from the time we first have them come to training till they're matched because we have to complete all these steps. And it works. Um, we've been really um, pleased with the results of that. You know, a lot of people decide it's not a, the commitment for them because we ask for at least one year. Then we want to, them to see the kids regularly and consistently, so three or four times a month. And they have to complete activity logs every time they see the kids. And we also ask them to come to community meetings with other mentors. It's a big commitment. It's a big commitment. We work really hard to make sure that people aren't overcommitting, because once you make that commitment to the child, it's critical that you complete the commitment. Of the people who are interested, what percentage of them end up becoming mentors? Twenty-five percent end up, you know, from the very first interest expressed, and then coming through the training, we get, we feel like it's about twenty-five percent. So it's a lot of work. And we have to go out to their house and meet with them. And we do a lot of work up front to make the matches work. And the same with the children. When we, um, most of our kids are referred through schools or other agencies that serve children. And so somebody will call and say, I have this kid who would really benefit from having a mentor. And we say, ask their the child's parent if we can have their phone number. We don't say, oh, here's an application, or have them call us. We want to call them. And there's a number of reasons for that. One is we want to be the ones inviting them, you know, being um, reaching out. So a parent, we call the parent and say, we hear you, you're interested in learning more about our program. We'd love to come and meet with you. We'll come to your home, or if you'd rather meet at the school, that'd be great. We want to meet where they feel most comfortable. Because so often, families that we serve, it's the exact opposite. They have to go to some big agency where somebody asks all these questions with their little clipboard and all of that. We want to go in and meet on their turf. And um, usually they have us come to their home, which is the best because we learn so much about 
what the situation for this child is if we go into their home. And our whole goal during that process is finding out what does this parent really want for their child? Is the child really interested in this? And we want to build trust with this parent because if they trust us, hopefully they're going to trust who we introduce their child to. What are the various risk factors that you see a lot? For a child, the primary one is poverty. Um, Almost all of our kids are on free and reduced lunch. Um, We particularly target the schools where there are higher percentages of those kids. Um, From there on, it's any number of things. You know, maybe they come from a family where English is the second language. Maybe um, we're also serving a number of refugee and immigrant children now. Um, we, almost all of our children are being raised by a single woman, um, not always mom, but often grandma. And um, so there's all these things that are impacting them environmentally. Some of the kids have some kinds of learning disabilities not particularly severe, but enough so that they're behind in school. Um, The kids that we're getting referrals for are not the sweet little kids who get all their schoolwork done quickly. They're the kids who are acting out in school or are withdrawn. And um, fortunately, those kids who are just like little terrors in school when they're with their mentors, generally speaking, they're pretty good kids. They're just kids. They just need a little attention. Yeah, they need the individual attention. How do you measure the success? Is it even a quantifiable? Yes, I think it is. I say think. I believe it is. There are programs like Friends of the Children that have made huge investments in developing evaluations to prove the success of their program. And like Friends of the Children has a much higher percentage of children graduating from high school, avoiding early pregnancies, and some of those kinds of things. That's huge. We're working with six to nine-year-old children. We're not measuring pregnancies. (laughs) Um, But um, there are now some, um, we are going to be working with the Institute for Youth, Youth Success to develop an evaluation of our program. Um, Actually, Family of Friends has already been doing that. I'm now um, just approaching them for this program, which is Faithful Friends. Um, It's different. Um, One of the things that I count as success is the number of matches that go on past the one-year commitment, which at Family of Friends has been consistently about 85%, which is remarkable. Um, Beyond that, I have many stories of matches that I made as far back as 2003, where the child and their mentors are still in touch. And actually, I have one family match. It was my second match at Family of Friends. their mentee, they consider their mentee their fifth child. They actually moved out of state. And when they did that, since they've done that, they've flown this mentee back to visit them several times from Portland to Wisconsin. And um, 
He, he is now a corporal in the Marine Corps and has just purchased his first car. And now he's in touch with the boys in the family more than the parents because, you know, he grew up with these kids. He met them when he was seven. And now he's 19 or 20. Wow. Yeah. That's a success, don't you think? That's I, a good measure. I would call that a success, <laughs> yeah. Um. Or occasionally, like I just had a mentor call me recently, just a few months ago, and she um, has since moved. She Her job moved to Hawaii. Oh, darn. But she um, is still in touch with her mentee here in Portland who um, was in search of an apartment. She's still in high school, um, but she does not live with her um, mother. She's out on her own and had been couch surfing and was looking for housing. And the mentor called me, had my phone, I guess, number in her phone, and she called to see if I knew of any resources because she was trying to help her mentee find housing. It's incredible. I mean, matches that, and that's our hope. We match them for one year. Our hope is they fall in love with this kid and stay in their life forever. So awesome. It's powerful. Yeah. She's like a loving aunt. Yeah. So important to have a support network available. When you guys were first starting, what did the organization look like? It was you and... Well, my husband was there for a few minutes. Um, he is really the entrepreneur. He's the one who says, let's do this. And then I would come along and make sure all the work got done, I guess. At the same time, we started Family of Friends. He was approached by a company that needed... was hoping to start a new business model. So he left and did that. So it was me. But we had approached Trillium Family Services, which is a mental health um, organization. They provide mental health services for children and teenagers in Portland. And we had gone in under their umbrella so that we could start raising money because we didn't have our own 501c3. We didn't know how long that relationship would last, but it was a really great way to start. So we could, we just hit the ground running, raised a bunch of money from foundations so that we could get started. So it was me under the umbrella of this large organization. They hardly knew what we were doing. <laughs> they just were really supportive, but they just let us go off on our own and do our own thing. So we started uh, making matches, and originally we um, approached churches uh, to recruit our mentors. We were not a faith-based organization, but we felt that the, that was a good place to start recruiting good people. And eventually we evolved to recruiting people from the general population, primarily because of social media. We could do it. You know, we could get the message out through Craigslist and different sources like that. What year did you start using social media for this? Because it's changed a lot in the last 10 years. Yes, it's changed a lot in the last 10 years. I would say we started posting on Craigslist about, holy smokes, maybe 2007? And that's a guess. But yes, oh my goodness, have, th have things changed. But just in general, could you kind of contrast the uh, organization, what you guys were working on, like in the early days with what you guys are working on now and kind of the impact of the two different points in time? 
first of all, okay, so we would go to different churches and recruit, and that was it was all over the board. And some churches you would go, you would meet with the outreach committee or the education committee, and they would say, oh, this looks like a good idea. And then they'd say, we need to take it to our council. And the council would then say, oh, it looks like a good idea. Have them come and talk to us. So we would go and present. And then they would say, oh, this is a good idea. Let's do it. And then we would maybe get to put a table in the narthex, or we would get to sometimes get up in the pulpit and make a pitch for mentors. It was all over the board. Or um, we were going to a church in Sandy, a Catholic church, and the Catholic priest got up in the and he was preaching, and he said, you know how we always talk about reaching out to those who have less than we do? There's a meeting after church in the basement. It's it's family of friends. Be there. They need mentors. And we had 30 people come down to sign up to be mentors. Yeah, only a, a small number of them ended up being matched, the 25% rule. So family and friends, so then it was painfully slow. This is one of the things I've learned about starting new organizations and businesses. It's much slower than you would like. It took forever. And I would go like, we need more mentors, we need more mentors. And fortunately, I had some very wise mentors who said to me, It is growing at the right pace because we're learning a lot as we go. So those early mentors really helped form what we ended up doing. They asked us for support where they needed it. They asked us for training where they needed it. You know, they really did help us, and they also helped recruit mentors. So there you go. So family of friends, Um, just a year just over a year ago, was asked to leave Trillium Family Services. Our, the, we didn't exactly fit into their mission, ever. And um, we had um, hit some stumbling blocks in, in funding. So they were kind of helping support us for the first time ever. Previously, we had always raised our own funding, but we um, lost some funding that that had been steady, and they felt they could no longer support us because we didn't fit into their mission. And so it was like, oh boy, now what are we going to do? And Michelle, who was the person that I had hired to replace me, we got together and we said, this program is not going away. It's too powerful. It's doing really good work. We will find a way. Fortunately, during mentor training, we had decided that we needed to tell the people going through training what was happening with us, that we, didn't, we weren't sure what was going to happen next. We didn't know when we might be able to match them, if we could even match them. Three of those um, people in training were from the city of Gresham. All of the people going through training said, oh, we want to continue. We are committed to this. We want to be mentored, which was great to hear. Um, And afterwards, the fellows from um, Gresham hung back to talk to Michelle. They said, we have recently been told 
by some group, I think it might have been the Commission on Children and Families, that we need more mentoring in Gresham. We think we can help you. Well, now we had wanted to serve more children out in Gresham and outer East Portland for a long time, but had found it difficult to find mentors out there. Well, the next week was a whirlwind of talking with um, the city manager and some of his key leadership about how this could work. Family of Friends is now housed in City Hall in the city of Gresham. And although they had to drop some of their services in Portland um, because of they need to raise more funds to support matches in Portland. They have been able to raise a lot of funds to serve kids in the area of highest need in the Tri-County area. Rockwood and and Gresham are the highest need areas in the Tri-County area. And fortunately, because they're out there, they're able to recruit more mentors. It's a win-win. Yeah, sounds like it's really done a nice pivot. Yeah, Yeah, it's great. It's just fantastic because... We had been trying for the longest time to serve kids out there, and we had served some, but just a small amount, so it's exciting. Do you mind if I ask, what are the main areas where family or friends spends money? People. Um, staffing. What does that break down to specifically? It costs about $2,000 a year to support a match. That means all of the background checking, all of that stuff, you know, hours of time to go out and meet with the family hours to go out and meet with schools to recruit kids, hours of time to screen mentors and go through that whole process of training, and then the ongoing support. Now, most foundations don't, don't fund personnel. Without funding personnel, the work does not get done. But you just have to break it down in different ways, like how much does it cost to go out, you know, and drive out, 45-minute drive out to meet with a family, you, then you're there for an hour to an hour and a half, and then you come back and write up your reports, how much does that cost? How much does that time cost? And then all the support for that continues on and on. But it's a really good investment. We've been just talking about the investment, um, and Justin had, um, my coworker had read someplace for every dollar invested in one of our matches, you save $3 down the road. Because one of the things we're doing is exposing these kids to new possibilities. Um, Generally speaking, the children that we're working with, their world is very small. It's about a 10 block radius. It's their apartment complex and their school. They don't go to Mount Hood to ski. They don't go out to the coast. They don't go downtown. They have a very small world. And a lot of parents keep their kids really close because their neighborhoods are not very safe. If you live in poverty, you are not living in a really safe neighborhood, period. So um, our kids watch a lot of TV and play a lot of video games. So when, you know, common knowledge says try to match your mentee's interests with your mentor's interests, our kids don't even know what to be interested in. 
you know i mean if you've never gone skiing like how could you how could you possibly put that as well, an interest? Well, we yeah. just had a, a mentor at one of our community meetings recently said he took his mentee on a hike in Forest Park, and it was so much fun, and they were just having the best time. And this kid just absolutely freaked out because he saw his first frog. He'd never seen a frog before. Things that we take How old is this granted, kid? Nine. Wow. Nine years old. That must have been an amazing experience for that kid. I mean, it's just a whole different thing. You know, um, I had a foster son. He, when he first came to live with us, on Friday night, he'd want to go over to his granddad's to stay overnight for the weekend. And so we'd bring him over to granddad's house, and he'd spend the weekend, and we'd pick him up on Sunday. By the end of the year, he wasn't even going over every weekend. And at one point, he said, he was nine, he said, do you know, Grandma asked me to go to the store at 10 o'clock at night? And I said, oh, oh, really? Did you go? And he said, no, that would be dangerous. And the truth is, prior to his experience of living with us, he, I'm sure he went to the store at 10 o'clock at night when he was younger. It's just different worlds, yeah. different worlds. So, yeah, it's interesting, so many of the experiences that we take for granted that, you know, I had a mentor once who took a kid to the movie theater. Now, the kid had talked about all kinds of movies he'd seen. It had never dawned on the mentor that he'd never been to a movie theater. He'd seen a lot of movies because he'd seen them on, at home, you know. And at home, you talk out loud about the movie. And this kid was talking out loud in the movie theater. And, you know, the mentor had to remind him that he couldn't talk in the theater. Little things, little things that we take for granted. This is kind of like a similar, well, you want to talk about um, faithful friends and starting that? Because um, one thing I was curious about with family or friends is if you had to start over from scratch, what you would do differently to help it grow faster and help, help with funding. If I had to start it over, I wish there was an easy answer. I will tell you, I, maybe I need to tell you how I ended up here at Faithful Friends. Um, Duncan Campbell, who had, was the founder of Friends of the Children, had always wanted to start a faith-based mentoring program. And um, he loved our model at Family of Friends. He saw how we had taken the lessons we learned at Friends and transferred it and made a really solid um, volunteer program. Then he, um, he attends Door of Hope Church, and Josh White, the pastor there, um, knew a young woman who was really interested in mentoring. And so the two of them decided that this was a match made in heaven, and then they found some other funding, and together they were going to start this program. Duncan asked if I would come alongside and help with that, the new program. So I bundled up all the materials that we had created at Family of Friends and just went, here you go, here are the materials. And then I worked one day a week with Anna Clitheroe, who was the, the first um, program person here. And so then once I retired two and a half years ago, 
just started working here more to get it up to speed. Then transition happened. We hired a, an, an executive director. I thought I would leave. Then the program person took another position someplace else. So then we had to find find a program person. And so I stayed on until I got him up to speed. Then the executive director decided to leave. And then so now I'm still here. There's always something. <laughs> yeah. And now we've hired the most incredible people. I mean, this now we have this incredible team that's just going to take this program and run with it. We're currently serving 43 matches here in five years. It took the other program, a family of friends, probably took 10 years to get up to that many matches. Um, it was very slow going. But we have partnerships with churches here. And Door of Hope has provided many of, of our mentors. And then we're um, partnered with about a dozen churches right now. And that's growing. So when we go to a church, like this weekend, um, we'll be at Colossae, which is um, in Tigard. And we have a number of mentors from that church already. And they're going to put out a call and say, you know, there's going to be a training in October. You, you know, there's people here you can talk to about it. And we'd love to have more mentors from our church participate. So they're pushing it. So it's not just us, our small staff of three people. Yeah. Do you think being faith-based has helped get more buy-in from the churches that you're working with? Or like helped it grow? I think that it is helping because we have these champions within those buildings. They, um, you know, like, so we started at Door of Hope. The pastor at Door of Hope, who is a strong supporter, knows a pastor over here at Colossae. And oh, by the way, then, you know, somebody who's been working with Colossae knows somebody over here. So it's just this network, and um, that's growing. And the, the new program person, the program person we hired in January has been moved up to executive director, so we hired a new program person. That person has been working for 20 years in churches. He's got a huge network, and we're going to tap into that. So, yes, it has helped a lot. Um, now, at Family of Friends, I know out in Gresham, the city has helped them to recruit, and um, they're very involved with community organizations like um, Chamber of Commerce, those kinds of organizations. So they're going out and really connecting within the community. Another huge advantage for family of friends is they're now very localized. We have mentors from Sherwood to Gresham. It's a huge area to cover. What are the biggest needs of each of those two organizations, do you think, at this point? Money. For both of them? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. Money and mentors. Um, the need is never going to be I wish we could put ourselves out of business. Sadly, there are thousands of children. We could sign up a thousand kids, but we have to have mentors in order to do that, and we have to have money to recruit the mentors. It's just this ongoing challenge. Right now, both programs are working on diversifying their funding sources. Family of Friends has been very good at reaching out to foundational support. 
and is, is working on building their individual donors as well as corporate donors. Faithful Friends has a pretty strong network of individuals that we're tapping into and is just now reaching out to foundations other than private, you know, like um, family foundations. Is there anything that you found that's worked well for like raising money? Right now we're in, in the midst of planning a, here at Faithful Friends, planning an event. It's our first event, so it's going to be small. I hope we have 80 to 100 participants in that event, and it's, but it's a beginning. And you have to build a base, you know. Also, foundations, you know, as you begin to prove yourselves. Now, we've been here at uh, Faithful Friends for, when did we start? 2013. Um, since 2013, we have a track record. So now we can go to foundations and say, this is what we've been doing. This is where we know we need more support. Can you help us with this part, this piece? So it's just the man, manpower, which requires more money. Yeah, it's <laughs> a know, vicious it's cycle. Just, yeah. yeah, it is. It's a, yeah, it's just like chicken and the egg, which comes first. Um, but, you know, we, have, we also have um, good volunteers who are willing to help with all of this. We're building a strong board in both places. See, um, Family and Friends never had to have its own board because it was part of Trillium. So it has just started building a board, and they're being very judicious about that, looking at what, where they need the support and how best to um, grow the organization. And here in, in, uh, at Faithful Friends, we've um, really increased our board and, and want to increase it quite a bit more with people who really have the time and energy and ability to do the work. Because right now we need people who are willing to do work, not just come to a meeting once a month or once a quarter. Get a free lunch. And, yeah, 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 no free <laughs> lunch here. You know, we need you to go out and help us raise money or introduce us to people or um, connect us with resources, uh, you know. That's exciting. Well, it seems like you've got such a good foundation laid already where you can say like, hey, here's what we've done. Here's what we spent money already. And it works. Yes. I mean, you have a very and compelling case. Here at, I, well, and at, at any mentoring program, I will tell you, and we really see it here, it's not just the kids who are changed forever. It's everybody who participates. The mentors, so if you have an, an our mentors are all ages, all kinds of people, and all kinds of work, um, but you know, you have an individual who just wants to be matched with a kid and have a little fun and stuff. Their life is, that person's life has changed forever. They get to see how hard it is to be poor, how hard these parents are working to get the best for their kids, even though the best may not be what we would think is best, but they're trying awfully hard. And um, one of the things I really love, well, is the family matches because um, even the children grow up seeing they just grow up more grateful one you know they see the struggles of these kids who 
don't have the latest Nikes or don't have the best backpack or don't, you know. Don't, iPhone. Don't have an iPhone for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, you know, just I think we're raising more grateful kids by having them involved with children that don't have as much. Um, one of the things I always say, okay, so if we have a single male, that single male will be matched with a little boy. We never matched single males with girls. Very rarely we would match a single woman with a boy. It'd be very unusual. Couples, we always hope they want to be matched with a boy. Occasionally, you know, they want to be matched with a girl. Maybe it's the the wife who's taking the lead lead role in the mentoring relationship. And even that is terrific because, you know, guess what? Our little girls need to see good men. They need to see loving, respectful relationships between a man and a woman. You know, even if the guy is hardly participating in the relationship, he's still around. He still has to he's go still through a the, role model. Still has to go through the background check. And this little girl sees a guy who's, you know, relating to his wife in a very different way maybe than her mother's boyfriend relates. So it's just, they just get new views, different views. Maybe, I'm not saying they're better, or they're just different. So that, you know, they can see, and this is one of the things that Duncan Campbell, who is the founder of Friends of the Children and Faithful Friends, growing up in the worst of conditions, in his childhood, one of the things he talks about is going to his friends' houses and seeing something different and learning from that and taking that lesson and building these programs that can impact other children. Most people who volunteer for mentoring are women, white women. The hardest demographic to recruit is a man of color. We're working on it, but uh, because we re recruit both couples and families, we do present more male role models than, than most programs. What are you most excited about that you guys are working on right now? What am I most excited about? I'm pretty excited about... <laughs> it comes across. I, I'm just an excited start. person. <laughs> I'm really passionate about what can happen in these relationships, and oftentimes we have to remind our mentors about the impact they're having because you don't always see it. It's slow, invisible until yeah, you finally... It's, you know, but it's sort of like, you know, the old story of you have a family get-together, family reunion, and Auntie May comes up and says, oh, my goodness, you've grown so much. Well, see, I don't see the mentees and the mentors all the time. But sometimes a child that I signed up two years ago who could barely look at me is now engaged in telling me about their relationship with their mentor. Um, I, I, at one point, um, somebody said to me, you hear these sad stories all the time. Doesn't it get you down? I said, are you kidding? We get to see miracles happen every day, every day. We see something wonderful happen with these kids. And um, I, I, in relating um, 
how it's not often, we can't often see what our impact is. We had this one young woman who was kind of nervous about being a mentor, but really committed. And she said, you know, I, I haven't been around kids very much, and I just don't know. And we matched her with this little girl, and things went on pretty well. And um, she came to one of the community meetings one time and said, you know, I had all these ideas about all the wonderful things I was going to um, teach my mentee. And she listed off several things that she had envisioned. She said, but mostly when I pick my mentee up, we go to the park and play, pretend that we're fairies. And she was kind of frustrated about it, you know. And then, but we encouraged her. We said, this is good. She's getting out of the house. She's getting to be a kid. She's having fun. She loves you, you know. Then at a later meeting, much longer, um, several months later, she came and she said, we're still playing fairies in the park, but the other day I drove up to the house and she came running out of the house, jumped in the car, slammed the door, and she said, thank God you got me out of the house. It's crazy in there. And she said, it just became clear to me how important this was for her, just to get out. We just don't realize. So many of our children are living in pretty chaotic situations and just need to be a kid. So I have a couple of like final questions that I'd like to ask. I mean, pretty much everyone, because I think everyone's got a good insight on some of Like, what, what advice would you give to young people looking to make a positive impact on the world? Always think, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, if you have an idea, what's the worst thing that can happen? If you, if you, if you think, oh my gosh, what if, I'm, I'm going to fall on my face if I try this. And then what will happen? You'll pick yourself up and you move forward. I think we learn from almost every experience we have. Um, my daughter and her husband wanna, wanted to start a pizza shop during the recession. They had it figured out how they could get the loans to get started and stuff. And But that was... You know, it was a bad time to be thinking about starting a business. And I said, what's the worst thing that can happen? And my daughter said, well, we'll fail. And I said, and then what will you do? Go out and get jobs. Go for it. <laughs> and they did. And they're doing quite well. Thank you very much. But um, that was would be one thing. And the other thing is really... Try to have experiences, I think, that test you, that take you out of your comfort zone. You know, um, I grew up in the Midwest in a very middle-class surroundings. I went to college where all the people in my college were pretty much like me. Then I went to Southside Chicago. To work in a school and it was a shock I could not believe that in this country that has so much wealth 
that there could be mile after mile of housing projects with children who only know their housing project and their school. I couldn't believe it. It changed me forever. So that's what I want. I want more young people to do things like that. Get out there. Get out there. Try something new. <laughs> you know, tr take some risks. Yeah. Take risks. Do you have a favorite book you've read in the last year? My all-time favorite book is Les Miserables. I read it in high school in French. A very shortened version, but I've read it m many times since. Listened to it on tape. I, what do you like about it? I just think it's all about love, you know, really caring about people. I was outraged when they were going to make it into a musical. I thought, oh, no, they'll ruin it. But, oh, my goodness, didn't they do a wonderful job? So, see, you never know. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. For me, it's about, you know, like people trudging forward and loving others. And I don't know, kind of a different perspective of it, I guess. And then this, probably the next one would be To Kill a Mockingbird made a huge impact on me when I was young. Yeah, I'm, uh, uh, I come from, my parents were both Swedes, and so I read a lot of um, Nordic literature, but I only s periodically because it's so dark. <laughs> so dark, I'll read one and then I go like, oh yeah, I need to read some real fluffy stuff for a while. Yeah, yeah, it can get depressing. Well, thank you for your time, Arlo. You've been very generous. You can find Chris Forsley and her organizations at family-of-friends.org and faithfulfriendspdx.org. You can find links to both of those in the show notes. If you're new to this podcast and you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate it, and leave a review to help others discover why try. You can also get involved at Why Try the Podcast on Facebook. Music for this podcast is by Cambrian Explosion, whose music drove the snakes out of Ireland. Probably. You can find their music on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or cepdx.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening.